Hello, and welcome to episode 79 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, November 19th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going great from this end of the table. I know, this is so new and interesting, and as we alluded to last time, we are coming to you from Tiny Telephone Studios. Did I get that right? (laughs) Tiny Telephone Recording. Yeah. Uh, It's a professional recording studio. This was my birthday present for my wonderful husband, so we're trying something new. Thanks, Simon. So it's very exciting and intimidating, and but we're... Well, we're not really professionals, but we have an incredible support staff with us here. <laughs> we're basically just talking and they're making it sound awesome. Yeah. So away we go. Very cool. All right. So other than the location, everything else is pretty, pretty usual. Uh, we have on the needles, on the easel, on the table and on the nightstand. And we will get started with on the needles. The knitting has gone a bit off the rails, as it sometimes does. Um, I still have my two sweaters that are, are getting a little bit of love. The first is the Newspaper Pullover by Hohi Locatelli, which is the two-color brioche that swaps the color patterns. And I finished off the hem, and then I had to do the sleeve, which meant picking up stitches and starting, and there was a lot of thinking involved, and so that took me a while to get to. But finally, I just put on my big girl knitting needles and said I'm going to get it done because <laughs> once you get started it's a little bit more easy to do and so I finally did it and I haven't gotten terribly far into it but I have started the first sleeve. Is it the pattern or the brioche that's it's just getting it started mm-hmm. like once you get because you have to pick up all the stitches and you're picking up the brioche stitches which involve yarn overs and you have to make sure you get it all set and then the directions are written for two pass brioche. So you knit with one color and then you go back and do the same row over in the other color, which is fine. I did learn how to do one pass brioche, which is where you're doing it both colors at the same time. I don't know if it's actually faster. It feels faster and feels more professional and fancy. So that's always fun. But it means the setup is a little bit different and I have to kind of finagle that myself. Um, And at some point, I'm going to be doing decreases because it's a sleeve. So you start off big and go smaller. And I have to figure out how that's going to work because, again, instructions are written for doing it one color at a time. I'm doing both. So we will see how that works. My original plan was to have it done on Halloween. That clearly didn't happen. So now my plan was to get it done maybe for Thanksgiving. I could wear it, you know, to dinner with the family. Pretty sure that's not going to happen either. Christmas. But maybe Christmas. So we will see. I don't know. I've, you know, I've got oh, almost a week, two sleeves. We shall see. And okay. and nothing really happening in between then and Thanksgiving because kids are off school, husband's taking the week off, and we'll just kind of hang out and and see what happens. So that one, that one is coming along. And then I also managed to get uh, Simon's Hide and peek or Rick Rack sweater, as Courtney <laughs> likes to call it. I'm shocked it's not trending. My name change on that sweater. Yeah, it should be. 
I have to think if I put that in the hashtags. Maybe that's the problem. I haven't actually yeah. hashtagged it. Um, so that I managed to separate the sleeves and get started. And now it's just knitting, 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 knitting. And we were watching something on, oh, we watched the new James Bond movie on TV. And I thought, oh, I can actually do some knitting on it. And I, I haven't had him try it on yet, which I need to do, but I wanted to get a little bit past the sleeve so it would give a more accurate idea of how well it was fitting. Um, and that one is in Sugar Plum Circus Merino Sport in various colors of green and gray. Although now I'm just knitting in dark charcoal for a long time. If it fits. If it doesn't fit, then I'm going to be ripping out dark charcoal and starting starting over. So we will we will see. I do need to to get that part done. I don't want to go too much farther before I have him try it on. But but I did make progress on both of them, so that was kind of exciting. And then, yeah, just, I don't know, I was kind of tired of knitting on the... They were both sort of at stopping points. And I started panicking. Even though it, it was only early November, I felt like Christmas was going to be happening immediately. And so I needed to start on all the gift knitting. And as I said last time, I have all these Advent projects I want to do. And uh, it's just, it's a lot. It's coming up fast. I mean, it's the 19th today, so... It is, which means it's still more than a month away. <laughs> so we do have some time. I guess in terms of yeah. knitting, yeah, it needs to get done. So anyway, so I did cast on uh, my traditional Christmas baby hats. I like to knit little Christmas hats um, for the new babies in the family. And so far for the past six years, this is, I think, the sixth year I've done this, we've had two new babies show up. So I buy some really cute... Show up. <laughs> just like appear. Storks. Yeah, obviously. Okay. Isn't that where they come from? So I like to buy really cute like Christmas striping yarn. Uh, so this one is from Turtle Pearl Yarns in the colorway Mistletoe Kisses, which it's mostly a dark, I guess, kind of Christmas tree green. And then there's like a Grinch green and red and white mini stripes in between and then a big hunk of the dark green. And then it came with a mini skein of bright Christmas red. So that is for the pom-pom. Um, and I posted pictures of those already. So and they're little tiny baby hats, and one of them is like a very tiny month, one month old. So, uh, very tiny baby hats, super easy to get done. And pom poms are always super fun to do. So those are actual an actual finished object, two finished objects. So that's exciting. Awesome. And then I got some work in on the swing left socks by Megan Williams. That's in the Three Irish Girls Adorn Sock in Bridget, which is all sorts of lovely shades of blue. And those are probably going to be a gift as well. Those I started those at the regatta because they were supposed to be super easy, and I misread the pattern, and they are not quite easy. They are, they are relatively easy, but they are not mindless knitting. Um, so those are getting less love than I had hoped, but they are, they are coming along. And then I also, just for the heck of it, decided to start a new cowl because I don't know why. I think it's because it was birthday month. And I was like, I'm just going to knit what I want. This is what I want to do. So I started a Helix cowl by Andrea Rangel. Um, and this is a pattern in her, oh, it's a stitch dictionary. Um, so it's all these kind of cool modern stitch patterns. And in the back, she gives you a couple of patterns. I think there's a cowl, there's mitts, there's sweater, cardigan. 
a hat um, that you can use to, you can put the stitch patterns on. And so this one is two color cowl and it's an all over pattern of a helix. So and it ends up looking like flowers. So the yarn I'm using is from Knit Circus. It's their greatest of ease. It's a fingering weight. So that's also kind of why it's taking a little while. But it's in a black, which is called Quoth the Raven. And they do such great names. I love that name. They do really good names. And then the other one is a white gradient speckle. So it starts off in blue. And then now it's kind of in yellows and pinks and blues. And it's going to end up in hot pink. And my original plan... The pattern calls for, I think, five repeats, and I'm at about three and a half, and I'm only probably going to get halfway through the yarn, which means I'm not going to get to all of the awesome pink at the end. So I think I'm going to have to do maybe double it, so then it'll be an extra long one, but I will get to use all of the yarn. But it will take much longer, so we will see. But it's a very soothing pattern. It's pretty easy. I think it's maybe a 21-stitch repeat. It's fairly easy to read to do it, and and to a certain extent, you're you're reading your knitting as you go because you can see the pattern emerging, and that's another problem with it taking a long time because every time you knit a row, you want to stop and admire how the gradient is changing, and oh look, we're getting to this color now, so that one um, should be almost done, but is now not, and is going to be a more long term project, which will not do good things for my beginning of the year resolutions of finishing things, <laughs> but right. oh well. I, I will be happy with it when it is done. And I think that's about it. I did, oh, I also started another sock. I had started one because it was just stockinette until I got to the heel, but then I got to the heel and I haven't actually done the heel. So instead of starting a new pair of socks, I decided just to start the second one because I had some concerts to go to that involved other people's children, and they were amazing, but I can knit through other people's children <laughs> playing musical instruments. You knit through professionals on stage, so I, I have so. done that as well, but not recently. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, the knitting is kind of all over the place and is going to continue to be all over the place for a while as soon as we get into the uh, the December Advent knitting season. Hopefully I'll finish something before then. <laughs> Calm things down a little bit, but it's not looking good. Yeah. But that's okay. It's a it's good fun. problem. I mean, it's not like anybody's paying me to knit this stuff or there's no deadlines. Right. Except in my head. So it's kind of fun. I can pick up and knit whatever I want. Good. Yeah. What is on the easel? The easel is supremely focused because it is calendar season. Well, it's late, actually. I was hoping to report that I sent it to the printer this week, but I haven't yet, because you, my friend, are going to proofread it before hmm. I send it to the printer. Is that why you were showing it to me? Yeah, I do want you to just look it over with your eagle eye. I always used to think the phrase was evil eye, <laughs> but it's I'm pretty sure it's eagle eye. Oh, that makes more sense. Anyway, I've been painting so much for this calendar. I think I have redone half the images just to make them work better or to up the contrast. So you had or... already redone them. 
Yeah. So this is another redo. This is kind of a... I redid three illustrations on Tuesday, I think, which is a huge wow. amount of painting, but it was awesome. And I was so much happier. I mean, I've got a moose in the back end of the calendar. I am in love with him. He looks so good. He is fancy. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm much happier with the full body of images now than I was before. Good. And I'm excited to send it to the printer and then get them in the mail. I am ordering a couple extra, so there should be some for sale. But we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. And then it is, you know, it's gouache month, gouache vember, with the with the Instagram painters. And so I haven't been as on it as usual. I'm a few I'm a few prompts behind. But I did get to paint a typewriter, which is like one of my favorite things to paint. And I painted some knitwear. I don't know if you saw that. I painted this scarf on a, on a vintage hanger, and it has pom-poms. Oh, I don't think I did see that. And it, I think the, the contrast of it turned out pretty cool. Ooh. And it's a good color. It's a good color. And I got the just the right, all the folds. Painting knitwear is really tricky, but it's far faster for me to paint it than it is for me to knit it. So I'm happy with how the gouache vember stuff is coming. It's always such a fun battery of prompts, and I really hope once this calendar goes to the printer that I can dive in and work through what I missed and keep up the rest of it because it's the 19th. And then I have been thinking about what I want to change in my studio practices. And one of the things I was thinking about is doing a little vlogging, like video vlogging. And I looked into an overhead camera mount that I can put over my workspace or set up an easel if I'm on, or set up a tripod if I'm at the easel and film my process a little bit more and share that with people and I that is a very preliminary idea in my brain I don't love to be on on camera but if you had asked me three years ago I would have said that recording a podcast would be terrifying and we've been doing it for three years and it's great but if it's an overhead camera you're not really on camera right or would you I think I would start with the overhead because then it would allow me um, to sort of ease into it and not be self-conscious about, like, what's my face doing? <laughs> it could just be, like, I'm painting this chocolate mousse and this is, you know, this is my process for it. And get used to, like like our first few episodes of the podcast, how we were getting accustomed to... right how our voices sound and how we self-modulate. And I mean, it's, it was not easy at the beginning. It was a huge transition, especially for me. I don't know about you, but I think that it's a growth opportunity to show people how the, um, how the, how my process works. And even though I am like no master at all, I do believe there's value in sharing the process And then watching it back 
for myself. Like the few times when I have recorded mm. my painting, like I went to Creative Bug once and did like a live painting with them. And I've done some stuff when I did the class with Sketchy. Um, like watching my own process has value in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think it might be an interesting exercise. So that's kind of what's happening. And I fell down this rabbit hole of faux fruit. Yes. Like I am obsessed with setting up some props and painting some still lives in the studio. And, and instead of having a fruit fly problem, I thought I'm going to just go find some fake things and put them in with some jugs and vases. And I'm not having a tremendous amount of success, but I thought, oh, I'll just sculpt them myself. <laughs> I'll make a leek and a tomato and a of course cantaloupe. We'll see. So I have like a lot of ideas and yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Studio is a good place to be. Have you checked scrap for the fruit? I did check scrap for yeah. the fruit. And I wish I took a picture because I pulled out the fruit and vegetable bin and it was empty. Aww. So somebody else has the same idea. <laughs> or a different idea. Maybe. You'll have to go back. I know. So that's what's been... Faux fruit has been in the studio. Cool. Yeah. All right. So on the table. Yeah. No faux fruit here. Only real fruit. So I started off with, well, it was a conundrum. I had three school potlucks within one week. Nightmare. Ugh. That's not a conundrum. Yeah, more of a nightmare. And they were sort of at odd times, and I wasn't quite sure if they were supposed to be like snacks or we, like, a full dinner thing that we were trying to accomplish. So, and then I, generally when I go to a potluck, I want to have something that I know if Simon's going to be there, I want to make sure there's something that he can eat. As a gluten-free vegetarian, there's often not much uh, that he can snack on. So I usually try and bring something that I know he can can eat. And timings were all weird. And, you know, we were going to be doing things before and after. And so making sure it was going to be whatever shelf stable and not <laughs> poison everyone was also important. Um, so I ended up for one of them uh, making mini frittatas. Cause, and we had talked about this, and I think I'd sort of been thinking of a quiche, and then I think Courtney's like, we'll just you know, cut out the crust thing entirely. And, and so I found a recipe for ones that you make in muffin tins. So it was really great, because then you had individual servings, and I put them, I baked them in the muffin tins, and then I brought them to serve them in little paper muffin cups. So then people could just grab that and go... And it turned out really well, and they were all gone. I mean, to be fair, there were only 12 of them, I think. I think that was what we were supposed to bring for that one. But they did all disappear, so I was very proud of that. And so that recipe is from Love and Lemons, and it had cherry tomatoes and some mustard and dill and feta and scallions. And you were also supposed to put a little bit of kale in there, but I didn't have any, and I figured they were going to be fine without. Uh, and then, you know, the eggs, and you... You bake them off, and they were really tasty. So that was that. I felt like it was a win for the, the potluck number one. And then for the other two, I ended up, and I don't know if we had talked about this, but I was definitely inspired by you. Um, I brought Nigella Lawson's Party Popcorn from, uh, it's her fast entertaining one. I forget what the official name is. I love popcorn. You've, yeah, and you've brought some really great popcorn to various it events in the like past. 
it feels like cheating because it's yeah. like, but. And it's a whole grain. So it's, it's a whole grain. It's basically healthy. Yeah. But people feel like it's dessert. So hers is a nice combination. It's kind of a sweet and savory one. So it has cinnamon, salt, sugar, paprika, and cumin. It's a little bit of zing. Getting it all mixed in was a little tricky, but I think I did a pretty good job. And then I poured it into individual parchment bags so everyone could just grab a bag. And not a huge serving because, you know, popcorn takes up a good amount of space. So, yeah, so I did that for the other two because then it was just easy. And you just bring them and people could take them home at the end of the night as well. And, yeah, so those those went well also and were very tasty. And the ones that I did have left over, my family was super excited about and I don't know. I think Simon had like five bags at one point all at once. So he definitely enjoyed that. So that would that was another good one that that went well. And then in regular cooking, um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of repeats lately. I'm kind of a I don't know if it's just because it's dark or, you know, things are getting busy again. I'm just like, ugh, I can't I can't do it. Um, so lots of repeats. But I did. It is sunchoke season again. And Ooh. I do like sunchokes, but it's I like also like finding new ways to use them. In Vegetable Kingdom, Bryant Terry had a recipe, which I did a few little finaglings with, um, but it's for a sunchoke tomato sauce for pasta, because we still have our Monday night pasta night. And it's basically you make a tomato tomato sauce, and I followed his recipe, which was really simple, and had some tomato paste in there and, you know, garlic, onions, crushed tomatoes, all those Regular things. And then you make a sunchoke cream, which is kind of like a cashew cream. He actually throws some cashews in there. So basically a, you know, cream substitute. But you do get that sunchoke flavor. So it was a little complicated because you do have to, like, cook the sunchokes. You have to actually peel them, which I don't normally do if I'm just roasting them. So you have to peel them, which was kind of annoying. And then you cook them in vegetable broth, puree the whole thing. I left out the cashews because that involved making an actual cashew cream and I wasn't wasn't up for that on a Monday night but then you add it into the tomato sauce so it becomes kind of like a tomato cream sauce which is always delicious you do get that nice sunchoke flavor in there as well and the family seemed to enjoy it so that was that was a fun one and another a good way to use up the sunchokes did they come in your produce box yep they're one of our options yeah so I've mostly just been roasting them either by themselves or with some potatoes which is delicious I love their flavor and I was very excited to see them but you know I like to mix things up a little bit and it's good to to get back into an old cookbook yeah I love every that. once in a while yeah yeah how about you well I see beans on this list I don't usually have I usually get to see your notes we actually combined all our show notes before uh yes yeah, recording yeah. yeah um I, yeah, where's my gold star for beans? This is like a two two gold star yeah. month between so fancy Dune and <laughs> beans. Okay, so I've got that bounty of beans from the market, and I was so proud of myself because I soaked a bag of them, but the recipe only called for half that. And, like, now what am I going to do with the, Lunch. Like the other half of the beans? No. No. Soup? 
I Tacos? I just didn't think ahead enough. Mm. Like I should only soak what I need, basically, because mm. I'm not. Oh, by the way, Charlotta wrote in that she's loving all of the bean recipes, but her family <laughs> she she blames you, and her family is not happy about it. <laughs> so I thought that was great. My um, people eat beans for well. Simon eats beans for breakfast, so we that's what happens with our right leftover half. Right. Yeah, I think I just need to plan a little bit better because you think, oh, it's just a little bag of beans, and then you soak them, and you have like six cups of beans. Beans for <laughs> That's days, a yeah. Lot. I made turkey chili with the Rancho Gordo Vaquero beans. They were super flavorful. It is definitely elevated yeah. experience over canned beans. I mean, there's nothing wrong with canned beans. Not at all. Um, but they definitely added something to the recipe. And there was, like, nothing left over. Then I made the butternut squash soup with coconut milk and lime from the weekday vegetarian. Yeah. I was really excited about this recipe. And I made it to go with turkey burgers because we are not weekday vegetarians. And, you know, I have two wrestlers right now. And they were, like, they came in and all they saw was the soup going Mm. because the turkey stuff was still in the fridge. And they kind of pitched a fit, like... (laughs) are you kidding? Like, we are starving. We can't have soup. <laughs> they were just appalled. So noted. And they were fine, like, once I brought everything else out. But do you see what I have to deal with? It's, I mean, come awful. on. Yeah. So basically, everything that I make now is just accompaniment for meat. Yeah. You know. So I also had a Brussels sprout night. And again, They take longer. They were in the oven, and I pulled them out, and everybody was like, yeah, but what's for for dinner? Was there pancetta involved? No, I had forgotten the pancetta. They would have definitely gobbled that up. Pancetta on Brussels sprouts is just the best. I miss pancetta. Yeah. Oh, I need to. Yeah. It's just. just Don't think about it. It's a sacrifice. Yep. For sure. That was for my birthday. We did have the beef fondue, which I've talked about before, which goes with the baked brown rice, which is supposed to have bacon in it. And I remember 100% standing in the grocery store, getting the bacon off the shelf, putting it in my cart. Came time to make it. It was nowhere to be found. I'm standing there looking at the fridge. My mother went through the fridge because she was there. (laughs) I'm like looking through the cabinet, maybe thinking I threw it in the cabinet. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to use it at that point, obviously, but I would have known where it was. I was thinking because I had a sometimes if I'm you know have a big dinner I'll put all the ingredients in a bag off to the side like things that I know I'm going to need for that specific event did it leave the bacon in there no so the only thing I can figure is that it ended up you know n- like not getting not put bagged. yeah yeah which was very upsetting because I was like the bacon it I've had that it happen really makes the oh recipe. yeah for sure I've had that happen with, like, an onion or a shallot. You know, it, like, rolls down to the end yeah. and it gets left. But but bacon. I know. And I so rarely get to have Mission it critical. Uh, so sad. But the that star recipe from the group of new ones is the pasta with brown butter, yogurt, and herbs from Tuesday night. I don't know if you've seen that one in there. It has... It's a really simple pasta recipe, and it has, like, two component mixtures with it. There's the yogurt, which has sumac and oregano and, I'm forgetting, you're supposed to use 
fresh oregano and I used like a heathen I used the what was in the pantry cupboard dried it came out fine yep. and then there's like a browned butter element with tomato paste and the recipe oh. says don't use the tubed tomato paste use the canned one the tubed one is even more concentrated and it, the flavor balance won't be right thankfully I had both this was so delicious like we, mm. so it's a yogurt and then like a tomato cream and so blended in with the pasta it makes this like gorgeous silky delicious couldn't stop eating it pasta, pasta brown dish. butter yeah but yeah. sounds familiar i don't remember ever making it but it sounds like something I'm sure that you would have been on my list yeah zipped pasta it's in that tuesday nights and it again an accompaniment for meat you know with a little salad or i and i forget if it was broccoli or Brussels sprouts that I had on the side. But yeah, I'm just trying to feed wrestlers. And there was, I think there was like a tiny bit left over. Nice. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad to have landed on like a, you know, I tried with the soups and the vegetables and then I went big with the pasta and I think everybody was a lot happier with me. I mean, pasta's delicious. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's my kitchen. What meat did you serve with it? Oh, my husband picked up a couple of these little, like, I don't know if they were ribeye or... We don't eat the red meat. It's just for uh, the boys. So, and they just like them, you know, in the skillet, a little salt yeah. and pepper. Super nice. easy. No. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, on the nightstand. So first, I wanted to say thank you to Jesse 51 who's Jane, she reached out on our Ravelry page to say that she had read, well, two books, the Addie LaRue, she really liked. Um, but she also read the first Murderbot one, and she really enjoyed it, even though she does not usually like sci-fi. But she does like uh, Snarky Detective, so that was good. Uh, so that was really nice. So I appreciated that her reaching out. And if you were wondering whether you might like the Murderbot series, here's someone who did. Okay, so it's been three weeks, so I do have a few books. The first is The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. And this is this is a fantasy one. Uh, I think it just came out this year, and people were super excited about it. She's written some other books as well, uh, which I haven't read. But this one, so pretty traditional fantasy, but kind of an Indian cultural background, which is nice to have something a little different. Priya is... A servant in the regent's household, but she has some secrets in her past. Her country was conquered when she was a child, and things are not going very well for the regent at this point. There is a crop blight that has been passed on to people, so there's famine going on and, and things are just not going well. And now the emperor's sister has been sent to be imprisoned for treason in the local or what used to be a temple. And Priya is one of the maids sent to clean the temple and kind of take care of the princess. Something big happens. The princess sees secrets are revealed. Shenanigans start to happen. It's a very straightforward, kind of intense fantasy. There's not a lot of lightness and, and happiness in this book. And I think it's the first of two or maybe a full series. There's definitely a kind of a cliffhanger on this one. Uh, it was good. I, the the There's kind of three main women 
characters and the, the chapters jump around between various viewpoints. There's the women and there's some other characters. The women are all really strong and in control. And uh, so that's that's always a good good thing to have in your in your books. Some good world building, different different scenes and, and cultural things going on. So um, yeah, so overall, this was a really good one. I'm looking forward to the second one coming out so I can see how it all finishes up. And then I went on a Seanan McGuire binge uh, October Day books. I read three of them, and I'm actually uh, I'm actually halfway through a fourth one. Um, so I am I am blasting oh I am blasting through this series. It is kind of my new Louise Penny Inspector Gamache. But they're, I mean they're they're quick reads. They're adventures, you know, kind of mystery adventures. You know how it's going to happen. You know it's going to turn out well at the end. But she's such a delightful character, and the other characters are really good as well. So it's it's been super fun. So the first one was Late Eclipse, and two of the noble ladies of Toby's acquaintance get poisoned, and she has to figure out who is behind it all. The fifth book is One Salt Sea, and there are two princes have been kidnapped, so she has to find them and uh, avert a war. And then in Ashes of Honor, a changeling child it has, she, they think she was kidnapped, but that she's running from her captors and she can teleport. So she is punching holes in the fairy universe, which might lead to its collapse. So Toby has to find her and save the universe once again. So it's been... I have no words. <laughs> like, it's great. Wow. Okay. I mean, it's not, you know... You read Addie LaRue, like weird things happen yeah. there. Yeah. This is just continually weird things. And it's, and again, it takes place in San Francisco, so that's always oh, that's, fun. So they're always the going best. to the Bay Area. The one I'm currently reading, there's a lot of stuff happening on Valencia Street, and they are calling out all of the local, the bars and the bookstores. And, you know, I know exactly where that bookstore is. So that's, that's always fun as well. And it's kind of an arc. She said, uh, the, so at the beginning of the seventh book, which is the one I'm currently reading, she said the first six were kind of, uh, the first part of Toby's life, and they had kind of an arc, and now she's going into kind of part two. And I can totally see that she starts off all on her own, and she's making, not making friends, but she's coming to realize that, that she does have people in her life, that she's not alone, and she's learning to trust them. And as she gets to know them, you get to know them, and they're just delightful people. And then then everything changes. <laughs> and so... Um, so that is a really fun series that I am enjoying very much. And I think book 15 just came out, so you are going to be hearing about it for a little while longer. Although if I keep reading it this quickly, it won't take me very long to get through them all. So get ready for that. And then I had a couple of romance books. The first was The X-Hex by Aaron Sterling, which is the pen name for Rachel Hawkins, who wrote The Wife Upstairs. No way. Yeah, uh, which I did not realize. And she has also apparently written some other books, including a lot of uh, like middle grade and young adult books. So she is just totally branching out in all sorts of directions. So this one is uh, about Vivi and Reese. They are both witches. Uh, they met when Vivi was in college in a magic town. And there's a college that part of it is for regular people, but there's also a magic part of it. And Reese came to town for summer school, um, and his family was one of the original founders. 
they have a brief fling, and then things go south at the end of the summer, and they haven't seen each other in nine years. There's a big event happening, and so he's coming back to town to kind of preside over it. They meet, sparks fly. It turns out when he left, she accidentally had cursed him. So things are going very bad, like his car breaks down and then a statue almost falls on him. And it's affecting the whole town and the magic in the whole town. So they have to figure out what's going on and save the town. And of course, you know, they're still still hot for each other. And this was a very steamy <laughs> one. Uh, so just beware of that. But it was super fun, amusing book. It almost felt at the beginning as though it was part of a series, like, if you're reading a romance that is part of a series, you can tell there's other characters that had their romance already. And there was none of that, and I checked, and I don't think she's written anything else. So the beginning, that felt a little weird. Like, there was stuff that we were supposed to know that we didn't, but it all it all got explained and, and was very delightful. So that was The X-Hex by Aaron Sterling. And then Portrait of a Scotsman by Evie Dunmore, which is definitely part of a series. I have read the other two. This is one that takes place kind of mostly in Oxford around uh, women suffragettes and the suffragette movement. So this one is a little, this whole series is a little more of a, more of a serious vein. There's some series that are very lighthearted and there's lots of, you know, back and forth quips. This one is not so much that. So Hattie is the daughter of a banker, lots of money, new money. And her parents want to marry her off to a nobleman. There's some shenanigans and she ends up married to... Lucian, who is a also a banker, uh, but came from a mining family. So he's not really well accepted. So he sees her as a way to get uh, into society to start, you know, becoming more accepted. And she is not happy about the whole process. So while they kind of are attracted to each other, she's very upset. So they have to overcome all of that. They go off. There's a whole whole bunch of time in Scotland with the miners and and uh, getting to know them. So there's a lot. Of, she really weaves in a lot of history and like actual, you know, workers' rights is kind of her focus in this one. Uh, other ones have been more specifically on women's rights and the Married Women's Voting Act. And uh, so that's all really interesting. But it does it does give it much more of a serious note. But they're still a really good couple. Lots to work through. Uh, lots of emotional growth on both both halves. So that's it's a good series, and I'm, I, I am enjoying that, and I look forward to the next one. And then two, <laughs> I, like, I always end up calling them real literature, but I think all of my book choices are totally valid, and you can read whatever the heck you want, and no one should tell you not to. Uh, so first was Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, who wrote All the Light We Cannot See. Uh, this was a big honking book. Do you feel like maybe someone should have said, Anthony, cut a few words? But the man can tell a story, so maybe he felt like he didn't need to. So the style is very similar to All the Light, flipping back and forth between different characters, back and forth in time. So even though it is a big book, it has a lot of short chapters, and then it'll have a new section with a title page. So there's a couple pages where you're just flipping, like reading a you know two words, and then you flip the page. So it's maybe not quite as big as it looks. It's still a pretty big book. So this one has three time periods that you're juggling. There are two kids during the siege of Constantinople in, I want to say, 1453. Close enough. Uh, one inside the city, one outside the city. There is a man and a 
teenager in a library with a bunch of kids in February 2020 in Idaho, and the kid is trying to blow up the library. So that's pretty tense. That was actually a hard part of the book to get into because there's a lot of, overall, there's a lot of child endangerment in this book, which if you have very low tolerance for it, you might want to stay away. And then the final time period is in the future. It's a girl, and we get, I think she's 14 at the main part of the story. Uh, she is on a spaceship heading away from Earth. Uh, they are part of a, a vanguard uh, looking for a new planet. And so she is, uh, you know, with her family and, and kind of what happens to her. And what ties all the stories together is a book about Cloud Cuckoo Land that was written like 50 BCE about a man that turns into a donkey and a fish and a bird and has all these crazy adventures. So it's this old book. And it's how it's so there's a lot of stuff about libraries and stories and how knowledge continues. That part sounds good. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the main theme through all of them. But then you get all these people's backstories and then what's happening to them, like the, the pivotal moment, mostly that involves the book. There's a lot of stuff going on. He is juggling a lot of balls. And I, you know, I was able to keep up with what was going on. It was always exciting to get back to, a, you know, a different character. It was never like, oh, I really wanted to keep reading about that one. I mean, I did, but I was also excited to find out what was happening with the, the other character. Yeah, so that was that was a pretty good one. And I really liked the ending. I was it was it was a good good ending that kind of tied it all up and and made you go, "Ah, oh, okay. That was that was worth satisfying." Yeah. yeah, that was worth it. And then the final one was Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. That's another one so in my queue. So good. Yeah. <laughs> these I just I actually these were both actual books from the library because I knew I wanted them and our library will have the the book books in their catalog before they have the ebooks. So a lot of times if it's a you know, upcoming book that I know I'm going to want to read. I end up getting the book book, unless I remember to go back in and request the ebook. This one was so good. So Ray Carney is a youngish black man in Harlem in the early 60s, and this takes place over about four years. And he grew up, had a really hard childhood. His mom died when he was pretty young. His dad is a small-time crook and was in and out. He had an aunt and a cousin that looked after him a lot, but basically he raised himself and went to college, and now he has a wife and two kids and a furniture store, and he's doing really well. And if sometimes his cousin shows up at the back door of the store with a TV or maybe a necklace that we're not quite sure where it came from and asks him to, you know, sell it on to some of his contacts, well, you know, that's okay. He's not really crooked, just a little bit bent. And... This book was so funny. Oh, my gosh. Which is totally different from his other books. Yeah. Um, but still has a lot of heart and tension. And so his cousin shows up. The, the plot gets going. His cousin shows up and asks him if he'd like to be the fence for a big robbery that he's planning to take part in. And Ray's like, nah, it's too much. My people can't handle that. I'm, you know, I'm doing the straight path. Uh, things go sideways pretty rapidly. And so over the next, there's sort of three parts to the book, and they all, all the events stem from that decision of his. Yeah, so it was a really great book. You get a lot of, like, a you know, Harlem back in time and 
the Apollo Theater and and he's going all over New York and it's like before the World Trade Center was built and there's this whole just great sense of how it was and and a lot of really hard stuff too. There's a police shooting of a young kid and people are protesting and there's riots and as much as we know that has been going on forever, it's like, oh my gosh, it really has been going on forever and so there was a lot of good things. But again, like funny and not crazy funny, just like super his sly. Writing, his writing yeah, is so smart. It's, it is. So that was just such a such a joy to read. Uh, Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Those are my books. That's a great stack. It was a fun. It's been fun. Yeah. Good. I have five for you. I I'm kind of loving revisiting the older classics. And this week I listened to A Country Doctor by Sarah Orne Jewett. And I'm pretty sure I read this in high school. As a New Englander, we read a lot of Sarah Orne Jewett. (laughs) The story felt familiar as it was being uh, read to me. The, The audiobook was being read. So But I didn't remember it exactly. And of course, reading it at 15 or 16 and then listening to it at my ripe old age of 70 million feels different. Things hit differently when you're older. This was published in 1884. And the main trajectory of the book is a story of a young woman named Nan whose parents, her father was pretty well-to-do, and her mother came from a good family, but her mother had some emotional instability problems. And so she was orphaned, and she was placed in the care of a country doctor. The doctor is very encouraging of her. He doesn't have children of his own, and he and his housekeeper look after Nan and she's allowed a lot of freedom as as a ward of his and she accompanies him on many of his calls and it's it's everything from helping to attend a birth a childbirth to stitching a wound you know the full variety of country ailments sicknesses fevers you name it she's a smart girl and she takes to this life. And so it's it's a kind of an internal novel about like 1884, you had exactly one choice of what you were going to be and that was a wife. And so they think they're, you know, she's just going to be a great caregiving wife. And at some point she has to affirm her wish to become a doctor. And it's like, it must have been groundbreaking at the time because women didn't attend med school. It was just unheard of. And so her acceptance in the medical community is is really only afforded because she her her caregiver is is a doctor and so she becomes like really learned and she also has a lot of practice and like hands-on experience and there's one moment in this and I like this is when like life parallels literature where she so my kid is a wrestler and he thought he um, dislocated his shoulder and so he's coming home 
with this injured shoulder and I'm on YouTube. What do you do for a, is this something I can do or is this something that I have to outsource? You know, seems like outsourcing is the way to go. Totally. And there's every warning on the internet is like, do not try to reset a shoulder. I kid you not. The next day I put the book, the audio book on and Nan has, this kid has this farm helper has like pulled his shoulder out of socket and she lays him down on the floor and he is hollering. She puts her foot on his shoulder joint and she like tugs upward on his arm and resets his shoulder. And he hollers initially, but then he's so grateful that he's out of pain and she did it. And she did it in front of an audience of people who are really skeptical of women being doctors. And it's so it, it is this moment of awareness for the community like wow she she has skills (laughs) I think what for me what was missing about this was because it's such an internal book and it feels like it's more I don't want to be a wife I want to follow this path but it doesn't really delve into what it's like like she only has these two experiences with the medical like the real medical side of it you know it's not it's not It doesn't really talk about what it's like to attend the birth of a baby or and I wish that there there was a little more of that in it. But it's also 1880s New England and that has its own particular brand of charm. So I'm I actually might go back to a couple other of her books because Mm. I love her use of language. And I think it would be nice to steepen that a little bit further. Then I read something totally different. It's called The Nicks by Nathan Hill. This, talk about a brick. It is a total romp of a book. It is takes place present day and like 1968 DNC convention in Chicago. Mm. Like, I know, specific. It deals with politics, online gaming, friendship, lusting after your best friend's sister. Chicago, New York, Norway. I mean, we're everywhere. <laughs> Norway. It's, yeah. Well, the Nix is apparently, it's like a Norwegian folktale about like a house spirit that I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, I was thinking it was Nixon. No, it's... um. But it could be a play. It's kind of like a little curse. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so he follows his... Nick's spirit throughout the book, this character named Samuel. So Samuel's parentage is he's got this mom who abandoned him and his father. And that has, of course, imprinted upon his life in myriad ways. And she commits a crime later on, like in present day, and so therefore has resurfaced. She had been in not really in hiding, but just had sort of evaporated. And now he's confronted with her as an adult to adult and why she abandoned him and this whole mystery. Of, it's It made such an impact on his life. Anyway, there is so much in this book. There's no way that I could begin to unpack it. It is definitely hefty, but really fast paced. There's so much going on and the momentum of it is incredible. So yeah, that's the Knicks. I am intrigued. Yeah, totally intriguing. 
Once There Were Wolves is the new Charlotte McConaughey. She wrote The Migrations, which both of us have talked about, and I really, really liked. I think you appreciated it, too. This book is about twin sisters who are, one of them has mirror synesthesia, and I don't have mirror synesthesia, but I could definitely relate to this particular weird thing. So when she sees someone get hurt, she like feels it in her body. I have like mega empathy. Yes. I feel everything. I don't feel it when somebody, I don't physically feel it, but so this, the concept of mirror synesthesia was really fascinating for me in this context because she feels it with animals too, which is like, how do you even navigate the world? Her occupation is she's a naturalist or a scientist who is specifically studying wolves and wolf packs. And so she's in the field a lot and their their parentage is also totally weird, kind of different, but similar to the Nicks. And she and her sister end up in Scotland where they're trying to rewild the wolf population to the to the this pocket in the highlands. And there is tremendous angst among the the human population because they're most of them are farmers and they have sheep and cattle and they're really worried about their animals their livestock because obviously that's a prey option for the wolves although the purpose of this is to help with the deer control and so the politics of that kind of rewilding is a big part of this book there's a huge element of the of their sisterhood between the twins and that how that mirror st- synesthesia plays out between twinship too and then there's there's some crime happening i mean this is there's there's just a little bit of everything in this novel for you it's also exquisitely written there's no, there's like it's very lean you know like everything feels important in the novel i thought it was great Cool. Can't wait for you to read it. Yeah. And then I read Sticking with Scotland. This is just coincidence. Rise by Karen Campbell. The beginning of this is hard because our main character, Justine, is trying to escape a really terrible situation in Glasgow. And she gets on a bus and tries to escape to the countryside just to get out of her situation. And lands in a really weird town and scenario and she kind of just morphs into what these people want her to be in order to escape her situation and she's not like disguised or anything but she lands in not as violent a situation but equally perplexing (laughs) it's just ugh. And then the drama in this town is wind turbines. And should we bring mm. the wind turbines? And is that going to modernize it? And, and the controversy amongst townspeople and, and how she is blending with that. There's this whole mega element of this family that she has wedged herself, wedged her way into by being like a, a, a nanny type role. And it's... It's just, it's totally believable, 
but it's also like, who would invite this into their life? It's sort of weird. The whole book was weird. So would you recommend it or no? I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I didn't love the domestic violence. When that voice comes through, I found myself like super speed Mm. reading, which is not typical. Well, it is typical of a domestic violence package for me, but I don't generally skim unless I really have to. So uh, I'm on the fence with that one. If you're interested in wind turbines, however... (laughs) In Scotland. Or or archaeology in Scotland. But I'm going to leave you with a huge... This You're going to love this book. Okay. I'm waiting to hear about it. This is called The Betrayals by Bridget Collins. Bridget also wrote The Binding, which I spoke about a couple years ago, I think. This is... I, I listened to it on audio. I think it would be... I think I would read it if I okay. had the opportunity. This is about Leo Martin, who is... Oh, my gosh. This is... It's, it's a whole different world, okay? It feels like we're in Europe-ish. And the centerpiece of this novel is a game that is critical to their society. And it's called The Grand Jeu. J-E-U. And it is, sounds like... It's What's game in French? Jeu? Yeah, jeu. Okay. So it sounds like it's meant to be this combination of chess and music and philosophy and all of the important things in life, art, and I, I don't even know, all wrapped into this one game. And I it feels like they should be playing it like in the astral sphere. (laughs) They talk about it in a really concrete way. The characters, you know, it's, it is the most important thing in their society. And so our main character, Leo Martin, was in politics. What's happening is he's sort of being ousted out. And he is allowed to go back to this main school where the, the Grand Jew is like studied and um, discussed and all of a sudden like his his morals and his his own personal philosophies are, are sort of being challenged by the the reigning class the political party and they notice that people who are Christian are being kicked out of the school so there's some weird religious stuff happening it's heavy on the patriarchy, except that there's this one grand teacher, this master who's at the school, and it was really difficult for her to get there, of course, and, you know, all of the struggles that she had, which is just irritating. I'm so <laughs> tired of this. But how that adds to his story, like why she's there mm-hmm. and, and how it he went to school there. It was like his college. It, there's a lot of flashing back and his all of his notebooks and his like final basically his thesis games or whatever have gone missing and all of the mysteries behind that it's it's a lot of politics and some religion and a lot of patriarchy masterfully told like i was pretty riveted by the whole thing hmm. and then at the very end there bridget collins gets on and says a little piece at the end about how she was totally inspired by the Herman Hesse 
novel, The Glass Bead Game, which makes me want to go read. I mean, I guess it's very different, but he had like built this whole imaginary game novel and that's where she got and there I think it's called the Grand Jew in his novel too anyway it's totally different there's it's a mystery like what's going on I think I think I might actually go and pick up a hardback wow and read it because even though I was paying attention and got it all, I think it would might, might be a really different experience to read the paper copy yeah. and see if that changes. I don't know. I, I never say that. So I think that that in and of itself is an endorsement for this very weird and interesting book. Cool. Yeah. All right. Now I've got two books to check out well, among the have. other 50 on my yeah. list already. Yeah. I mean, whatever, 1,500, but... <laughs> 50 in my library queue. So I'm getting through them, though. I'm working on it. Then there's more. They keep coming out with new books. It's very rude. It's okay, people. Keep writing your books. Yeah. We're here for it. That's true. Okay, well, I think that's it. That was a lot of reading we did. Yes. It's fall. True. Yeah. True. And it's dark now. Okay, well, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF, that's C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.